0: Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Monday, January 6th, 2020. I'm your host, Chris Higgins, with a summary of election news. Today, a new poll reveals a three-way tie in Iowa, Castro endorses Warren, the impeachment update, Booker releases Q4 fundraising numbers, and how the Democratic candidates are reacting to events in Iran. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, we have a new poll from CBS News. A big theme last week was, where are all the polls? And I think a theme this week will be, oh wow, here are all the polls. Okay, so CBS partnered with YouGov to poll in the two states that will vote first. Those are Iowa and New Hampshire. All right, methodology first. The survey period was from December 27th through January 3rd. The polls were conducted online and they focused on Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents. In Iowa, the margin of error is plus or minus 3.8%. In New Hampshire, it's a bit higher at plus or minus 5.3%. Okay, so what did this poll say? Well, in Iowa, it is statistically a three-way tie at the top. Senator Bernie Sanders, former Vice President Joe Biden, and former Mayor Pete Buttigieg all got roughly 23% in this poll. Below them are Senator Elizabeth Warren at 16% and Senator Amy Klobuchar at 7%. Now, keep in mind, you need 15% of the overall vote within a given state to get any delegates from that state. We now have four candidates showing up here in Iowa with numbers above that mark. Though, by the way, Warren is within the margin of error. And the actual caucus process will very likely shift these numbers around quite a bit. Geography matters in Iowa. But this opens up a real chance that we could see four people come out of Iowa with fairly similar numbers. Okay, so over in New Hampshire, Sanders leads at 27%, Biden is just behind at 25%, Warren is at 18%, Buttigieg is at 13 and Klobuchar is again at 7 The big takeaway is that Sanders and Biden are doing very well, and Warren is in an okay-ish third place position. In fact, I'd say the overall message of this pair of polls is that Sanders has strong numbers in these two early voting states. And beyond that, we have four candidates looking quite viable at the top. Biden, Buttigieg, Sanders, and Warren. So this is one poll. Well, technically two polls, but released together. But it carries extra weight because we just haven't seen a lot of new polling lately. I would therefore recommend against making too much out of this result. One other key point is that this set of polls offered no help for any of the non-qualified candidates for next week's DNC debate. That qualification window closes on Friday. So unless we see a flurry of polls right quick, we are looking at a five-person debate stage. For some more context on not just this poll, but the overall situation with Iowa, I'm going to read a few paragraphs from a story by Michael Shearer in the Washington Post. Quote, After a year of campaigning, and with less than a month to go before the first and therefore most important single contest in the Democratic nomination fight, few, if any, are confident of the outcome. At least four candidates are seen as having a shot to win Iowa, or, alternatively, to suffer a crippling result that could hobble their campaigns going forward, especially if there is a late surge by a lower-tier contender. The result, according to interviews with top campaign strategists and local Democratic officials, is a hotly contested sprint to the February 3rd caucuses. A struggle that could either propel a clear winner into the next voting states with momentum, or open a months long fight for the delegates needed to secure the party's presidential nomination. Unlike past primaries, several of the top candidates are expected to have the financial resources and dedicated fan base to wage long campaigns, even if they finish in the middle of the pack in Iowa. We have a jump ball, said Jeff Link, a strategist who worked on Barack Obama's winning 2008 Iowa campaign. They are all kind of right there, and I think we have yet to see the big shifts. My hunch is that 75% of people, even if they say they have a candidate, could change their mind. End quote. Okay, so this gets back to one of the core themes of this primary, which has been the large size of the field and confusion about who might really be a viable candidate. If the threshold for being viable is getting 15% or more in some noteworthy states, then yeah, lots of people are viable, at least four of them. And the biggest wild card I can imagine in this race is former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg, whose strategy of skipping the early states altogether and investing heavily in Super Tuesday might actually work because those states have so many more delegates than the early voting states. As always, these things will move and change, so stay tuned. <laughs> This morning, former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro endorsed Senator Elizabeth Warren in her run for president. On Twitter, he wrote, Elizabeth and I share a vision of America where everyone counts, an America where people, not the wealthy or well-connected, are put first. I'm proud to join her in the fight for big structural change, end quote. Castro plans to join Warren on the campaign trail this week and posted a video announcing the endorsement. Keep in mind that this news comes just four days after Castro ended his run for president, so I have to guess this was in the works for a while. In the video, Castro tells part of his personal story, and then hangs out with Warren and her dog Bailey, talking about the race in kind of a reality TV-style conversation. Let's listen to just a short portion of that. Warren speaks first, then Castro.
1: You did so many things in this campaign. yeah. And it continues to matter. It's not just in the past tense, it matters. You know, I started my campaign off and we live true to the idea that we want an America where everyone counts. It's the same vision that I see in you, in your campaign, in your America that you would help bring about. Nobody is working harder than you are, not only in meeting people, but listening to people. And also, bringing the goods and saying, okay, this, this is what I'm going to do about it.
0: This endorsement comes in the middle of a pivot for Warren's campaign. Alex Thompson wrote an article for Politico titled, Warren Ends Wine Cave Offensive. The core message there is that Warren is stepping back from attacks on Buttigieg and focusing more on her earlier strengths in the race, which were largely about policy. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by Mac Weldon. They make comfortable, smart clothing with premium fabrics, and it's simple to shop for precisely what you want online. I am literally currently wearing two things I bought from Mac Weldon, and they work for everything I do, around the house, at the gym, on the town, and even recording podcasts. Mac Weldon's clothes are made of premium fabrics. They'll stand up to whatever you can throw at them, and they're also comfortable. I can wear the same Mac Weldon outfit to the gym and out in the town, and it holds up great. It's good-looking, high-performance clothing for your lifestyle. If you're looking for a personal favorite, I recommend the sweatpants. They have a lot of pockets, some of those pockets zip closed, and that is more useful than I had ever imagined before I had it. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code ELECTION. Once again, that's MacWeldon.com promo code ELECTION to get 20% off your first order of great new clothing. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by Plexiderm. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. This is not surgery. It's not Botox. It is a clear solution for your problem areas, and I know we all have a few of those. Plexiderm offers you smooth, younger-looking skin in minutes. It goes on clear, so nobody knows you're using it. Again, that is a big difference if you've ever looked at surgical stuff for wrinkles and the areas around your eyes. That's where people look, and that's why you're better off with all-natural Plexiderm. Go to tryplexiderm.com and use my code VOICES for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an additional $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TryPlexiderm.com today and use code VOICES at checkout. That's TryPlexiderm.com, code VOICES. And now, the impeachment news in three minutes or less. Okay, so the House returns from its winter recess tomorrow. That would be a good day for some movement on those articles of impeachment. However, in a report by Margaret Talev and Jonathan Swan for Axios, it sounds like Speaker Pelosi is not planning to move quickly. As a reminder, we're still in a form of limbo, as President Trump has been impeached, but those articles of impeachment have not yet been transmitted to the Senate. So, the Senate cannot begin its impeachment trial. Reading from Axios, quote, A leadership aide tells Axios no decision has been made, and that it may be a couple of weeks before Democrats can understand the significance of new revelations about Ukraine-related information being withheld by the White House, and whether at least four Republican senators are concerned enough to join forces with Democrats and demand more disclosures as part of President Trump's trial. End quote. Meanwhile, as we discussed last week, there are new emails and potentially other evidence coming out as various court cases and investigations continue. Those could, in theory anyway, lead to additional articles of impeachment. The likely candidate there would be obstruction of justice and or obstruction of Congress. But, you know, don't hold your breath. Reading once more from Axios, quote, Look for House and Senate Democrats to gauge sentiment in their caucuses in the coming days. Look for Democrats to lean on Republican senators like Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Susan Collins of Maine, Cory Gardner of Colorado, Mitt Romney of Utah, and Lamar Alexander of Tennessee to press McConnell to agree to some witnesses and document releases the White House is so far refusing. Those GOP senators are either facing competitive reelection fights have previously expressed concerns about Trump's actions on Ukraine, or are retiring and may feel freer to challenge the president. None is expected to convict, end quote. And to add some complexity, former National Security Advisor John Bolton has said he will appear in a Senate trial if he is subpoenaed by the Senate. While that is possible, Democrats would need four Republicans to join them in making that subpoena request. It is unclear right now why Bolton would testify in the Senate, but has still refused to testify before the House, even though he was subpoenaed. Remember, his rationale for avoiding the House subpoena was an ongoing lawsuit, which is still ongoing. Alright, one last thing to watch for is Pelosi's regular Thursday press conference, when she will likely face a bunch of questions about all of this. Next up, Senator Cory Booker has released his Q4 fundraising numbers. He brought in $6.6 million, which just barely makes this his best quarter yet. This comes despite missing the December debate and very likely missing the upcoming January debate. He is campaigning heavily in Iowa, and although his poll numbers are quite low, he is counting on a possible turnaround in that state. As a reminder, Booker is one of the senators in this race who could find themselves locked into an impeachment trial, or not, who knows, but that's a factor that might affect his ability to spend valuable time on the ground with voters in the early states. Now, fundraising does not always correlate with success in the race, but given the polling numbers I mentioned up top, Booker may have a very hard time hitting 15% in Iowa overall. So, we'll just have to wait 28 days to find out how those Iowa caucuses turn out. Last up today, let's start talking about the situation in Iran and how the Democratic presidential candidates are reacting. To recap, last week the U.S. launched a drone strike that killed Iranian Major General Qasem Soleimani. I'm going to read a bit from a piece by Sarah Jones, writing for New York Magazine's Intelligencer. Quote, The Mideast is unstable in part due to the actions of the U.S. itself. After failed wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, themselves only the latest entries in a decades-old program of direct and bloody interference, democratic candidates should have to explain what, if anything, they change about America's posture toward the rest of the world. In tweets, formal statements, and speeches issued in the hours after the airstrike, the candidates provided some clarity about the direction they take U.S. foreign policy, most hewed closely to the same rhetoric employed by other Democratic officials. Suleimani was responsible for mass violence and death, but Trump's actions were ill-considered. Or, as Senator Cory Booker put it during an appearance on MSNBC, this is somebody who is a bad person, but we also have to look at the larger strategic situation in that area. End quote. Many of these statements by the candidates are linked in that piece by Jones. And there is a contrast between the more moderate Democrats and those in the progressive wing. Reading again from that article, quote, On Thursday night, Senator Bernie Sanders called Suleimani's killing an assassination and in a speech in Iowa on Friday afternoon highlighted his older opposition to the invasion of Iraq. He didn't mention Joe Biden by name, but he didn't have to. The point was clear enough. As senator and then as vice president, Biden made mistakes that Sanders did not. Sanders is staking out ground as the field's most credible anti-war candidate. Other candidates may try to follow his example. After first releasing a statement that closely resembled those of other, more moderate candidates, Senator Elizabeth Warren released another on Friday that condemned Soleimani's killing in stronger terms. She called it an assassination, just as Sanders did the previous night. Maybe voters will care, maybe they won't. It's too early to tell, and frankly, the opinions of the electorate have no bearing on the actual importance of the issue. The questions in front of the field's candidates are urgent. Will they stop America's endless wars? Or will the wars go on, away from Twitter and with different consultants and think tanks in charge? Their answers will reveal something profound about the way they'd govern. End quote. Well, that is it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. All right, folks, I have some personal news for the end of today's show. Right now, as the political season heats up, I also have some personal and family medical stuff that is requiring a lot more of my time. And that means I need to step back and focus on that. That means I will be stepping away from this show indefinitely after the end of next week. We will be transitioning to a new host, my friend and colleague, Glenn Fleischman. I'll have more on that tomorrow, but for now, I just wanted to let you know, I am stepping down as the host of this show soon, and I love y'all, but I gotta do it. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow.